This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I'd like to thank uh, Tim and Pat for inviting me to this uh, very interesting symposium and, of course, the entire CARTA organization. Language co-evolved with the human brain throughout evolution of Homo sapiens. Writing, on the other hand, which is actually what my topic is, is a relatively new technology that was invented by humans to translate spoken language into a visual form for the purpose of transmitting verbal communication broadly to many people over large distances and time. As such, reading and writing can be considered the first social media. Reading is an example of what's called neuronal recycling, the recruitment of previously evolved neural circuits to accomplish cultural innovations. It's important to point out that while language develops naturally in most humans, based on exposure rather than explicit instruction, Reading and writing require painstaking instruction and years of practice to reach proficiency. This slide shows the typical reading brain network with its key components as established initially in an older view by studies of patients with acquired brain lesions. And more recently, using modern brain imaging technologies, we have a lot more information. This talk will trace the history of the invention of writing, how English writing developed and ended up with such a cockeyed spelling system, which leads in many cases to dyslexia, and discuss how modern technologies are impacting reading and writing today. I'd like to begin with a brief overview of the history of the invention of writing. Writing is the physical manifestation of a spoken language. It's thought that human beings developed spoken language about 35,000 BC, as evidenced by, wow, yeah, by cave paintings from the period of Cro-Magnon man. Writing numbers for the purpose of record keeping began long before writing of language. Written language doesn't emerge until the invention in Sumer in southern Mesopotamia around 3,500 B.C. This writing system is known as cuneiform writing. It's generally agreed that true writing of language was independently conceived and developed by at least two ancient civilizations and possibly more in Sumer and also in Mesoamerica by the Maya in 500 to 300 B.C. Writing systems also arose in Egypt around 3100 B.C. and China around 1200 B.C. But historians debate whether these writing systems were developed completely independently of Sumerian writing or whether either or both were inspired by Sumerian writing by a process of cultural diffusion. The Sumerian cuneiform writing system was in use for more than three millennia through several stages of development, as can be seen on this slide, by looking at the transformation of the sign for head, sag, beginning with pictograms in 3000 BC. 
Ultimately, it was completely replaced by alphabetic writing in the general sense. In the course of the Roman era, there are no cuneiform writing systems in use today. While the development of Phoenician alphabet is often attributed to, of the phonetic alphabet is also often contributed to the Phoenicians, they didn't actually invent it or create it. Rather, they imported it piecemeal from Egypt and Crete and took it to every city on the Mediterranean. By the time of Homer, the Greeks were taking over the Phoenician or allied Aramaic alphabetic writing and were calling it by the Semitic names of the first two letters, Alpha and Beta. The Latin alphabet was established by the 7th century BC. Before the invention of the printing press in Europe around 1455, all books were handwritten and usually highly decorated. Until about the 12th century, the most elaborate and beautiful illuminations were devoted to religious works, and most manuscripts were produced in monasteries. During the Middle Ages, the Latin alphabet was used extensively for writing in Europe. With the age of colonialism and Christian evangelism, the Latin script spread widely well beyond Europe. I'd now like to change the focus to the history of English writing and explain how English writing ended up with such a cockeyed spelling system, which leads in many cases to dyslexia. <clears throat> the English language itself is a compilation of several, several different languages, mostly Anglo-Saxon, French, and, Lang and Latin, because England just kept getting invaded by people who spoke different languages. The only thing we have in English up until about 1400 are called patois. They're a clumsy peasant language without any standardized writing system. There wasn't even a vocabulary to carry on business in English. It was all done in French or Latin. However, when King Henry V took the throne of England in 1412, he had plans to invade France, so speaking French wasn't going to work. He realized that if he wanted to get support from the common people, they would have to change the language of parliament and business from French to English. At this time, the only people who could write at all in England were just a handful of men called chancery scribes who wrote by hand and almost exclusively in Latin. Latin has a transparent one-to-one -one correspondence between the number of discrete sounds called phonemes, in spoken Latin, <clears throat> and how they're mapped by the letters in the alphabet. As such, learning to read Latin is a piece of cake. All you have to do is learn the single letter that goes with each phoneme in Latin, and then just pronounce them in order to produce words. King Henry V directed his chancery scribes to create a written version of English so that he could communicate more broadly with his subjects. However, there was little or no instruction as to how they were supposed to do this. The problem they faced was that the written Latin alphabet was designed to represent one-on-one -on -one each of the 23 phonemes in spoken Latin. It was never fit well for English, which has 44 phonemes. For example, Latin didn't have a sh, th, or ch sound, so with only 23 Latin letters, there was no letter to represent these and many of the other 44 English phonemes. Faced with this problem, the chancery scribes just apparently made up multi-letter combinations to represent these single phonemes. 
So, for example, on this slide, um, you could see that the letter string T-H-E pronounced phonetically should be T-H-A-E. And S-H-E, S-H-A-E. So as many children are told, just say those and blend them together quickly, and what do you get? Sahae. <laughs> In case you ever wondered how we ended up with the non-transparent mapping from spoken to written English that leads so many children and people learning English as a second language to struggle to learn to read and spell, it all began here in the 15th century. Nearly 600 years before Gutenberg, Chinese monks were setting ink to paper using a method known as block printing. What really set Gutenberg's technology apart from the Chinese was the development of a press that could mechanize the transfer of ink from movable type to paper. For the first time in history, books could be mass-produced. Gutenberg's first major work in 1454 was a 42-line Gutenberg Bible printed in Latin. With the invention of the printing press, printing soon became the first means of mass communication, really the first social media. It poured more knowledge in the hands of more people faster and more cheaply than ever before. As a result, reading and writing, which up until that time was really something done by a very, very small number of people, spread widely and rapidly. Caxton brought the first printing press from Bruges to London in 1476 for the Canterbury Tales. With the advent of the printing press, the complex and often cockeyed spelling patterns for English that remain to this day were solidified, giving rise to generation after generation of children and adults who struggle to learn to read and write, particularly in English. Let me acknowledge here that I'm indebted to a wonderful website, which I highly recommend to you, called childrenofthecode.org. The website's creator, David Bolton, gave much of the information by interviewing scientists and anthropologists for many years, and I've synthesized a lot of that for this talk. I highly recommend that you explore this website for additional information on this topic of reading and writing, the history of reading and writing, and especially dyslexia. I quote from David Bolton, there weren't any cognitive scientists or neuroscientists or psychologists or even child development experts involved in creating the English writing system. There wasn't any concern for hundreds of millions of children who would struggle since this code was created in the 15th century. There were just a small number of chancery scribes doing their very best to shove a technology created for Latin into a, la into a language it was never designed for. Those who eventually do manage to overcome the confusion and learn how to break the code to become phonologically aware are able to use the areas of the brain that reading has recycled from speech and language, these areas here. Those who cannot break this code become dyslexic. According to the United States Department of Education in 2017, more than 60% of U.S. K-12 school children are reading below proficiency, and more than 70% writing below the level of proficiency for that grade level. Let these stunning numbers sink in. 
Reading is a skill that matters most to success in school, and children who fall behind in reading are in great academic danger. But it's not just the lack of reading skills that most endanger these children. It's the collateral damage. It's their mind shame that fates their future, as seen on this video clip being shown with permission of Children of the Code. My teacher asked me to come into the front of the class and read a book, and everybody was just staring at me, and I got real nervous because I didn't want to mess up or anything. And then when I started reading, I started messing up, and I just couldn't help it, and everybody started laughing at me and stuff. So, Like the teacher would ask me to read something, and I would read it, and I'll get a wrong word, or I'll go too slow, and they'll make fun of me. I kept messing up on the words, and people kept laughing at me. And they said that you don't know how to read. I bet you won't be able to how to read when you grow up. They always laugh at me if I get twisted up with words. It makes it makes my heart drop because it seems like they're not my friend no more. The collateral damage caused by literacy problems in the United States alone is immense. 75% to 80% of students identified as learning disabled have their basic deficits in language and reading. Academic success, as defined by high school graduation, can be predicted by knowing someone's reading skill at the end of third grade. 56% of students with learning disabilities will drop out of school and be arrested. 60% of adolescents in treatment for substance abuse have learning disabilities. 50% of females with learning disabilities will be mothers, many of them single mothers, within three to five years of leaving high school. Learning disabilities and substance abuse are the number one reason for keeping welfare recipients from becoming and remaining employed. Now I'm going to turn to discussing how modern technologies are impacting reading and writing today. Least we forget, the human brain is an exquisitely adaptable machine. Even though written language did not evolve like spoken language did over tens of millions of years ago, since the invention of writing and reading, the remarkable neuroplasticity of the human brain has supported the rapid formation of a highly elaborate literacy brain circuit. Literacy is a unique epigenetic achievement that changes what we perceive, how we think, and how we feel, that is, who we are. I think it's fair to say that reading and writing, perhaps more than any other technology, have had the greatest impact on the advancement of homo sapien brain and mind. As we gain proficiency in reading and writing, the continual use of our literacy brain circuit feeds back, elaborates, and strengthens itself. But just as this brain circuit developed very rapidly in evolutionary terms, or perhaps because it was so rapid, this circuit is also more vulnerable to change, if not continuously reinforced by experience and use. Only if we continuously work to develop and use the elaborated analytical, 
inferential and empathetic skills that have been developed by literacy, will the neural networks underlying these skills continue to sustain our, our capacity to be attentive, thoughtful, critical thinkers, rather than passive consumers of facts, real or fake? Despite alphabetic writing not changing much since the invention of the, prime, of the printing press in the 15th century, modern technologies, particularly social media technologies, are having a very rapid and profound effect on writing practices in the 21st century. Interestingly, many of these new technologies are making less use of alphabetic writing systems and more use, once again, of pictographs, as can be seen here comparing the Egyptian hieroglyphics of 3100 BC to a thank you note I recently received from my niece that says, dinner was awesome. It was a gift. Thanks. <laughs> and another example, a Chinese pictograph for medical marijuana, originally from 10,000 years ago, and a clip art symbol for medical marijuana from 2017. Since the 15th century, despite many changes in spoken English from Old English to Middle English to late modern, early modern and late modern English, like here it says, then she went to speak the whatever English tongue, English has written English has used the same 26 letters to represent the 44 sounds of English until now. The bottom line reads, then she went to speak this digital age English tongue. <laughs> Neuroscientists like me who specialize in reading are frequently asked these days, how might these rapid technological changes in reading and writing affect the human mind? My colleague, Dr. Marianne Wolf, focuses on exactly this question in her new book, Reader, Come Home. I'd like to close with some of the profound insights from this timely book. As we move from a literary and word-based culture into a far faster-paced digital and screen-based one, we face an existential dilemma in this new millennium. There are many things that would be lost if we slowly lose the cognitive patience to immerse ourselves, immerse ourselves in the worlds that are created by books and the lives, feelings, thoughts, and insights of the characters who inhabit them. In a culture that increasingly rewards immediacy, ease, and efficiency, the demanding time and effort involved in what Dr. Wolf refers to as deep reading make it an increasingly embattled entity. In closing, I ask each of you to consider this question. Will the very plasticity of the literate brain as it begins to reflect the characteristics of digital media that we and our children are increasingly immersing ourselves in precipitate the atrophy of our most essential thought processes sustained attention, critical analysis, empathy and reflection, and indeed wisdom, to the detriment of democratic societies that critically depend on these, the most essential characteristics of the enlightened, literate individual. Thank you. 
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.